Today on this episode of Design Wise, I'm joined by Mike Tartamella, the managing principal of Patrick O'Hearn Architects. Over the course of this conversation, we touch on everything from his background to what it's like to work alongside Patrick and much more. I'm your host, Jessica Shabbat, and without much further ado, let's go to our conversation. All right. Hi, Mike. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Um, so we always start with the same question, which is, um, where did you grow up? And I know you're not from New England, right? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm Originally, I was born on Long Island, uh, lived there for um, a couple of years, and then my family moved to the Washington, D.C. area. So I grew up in Maryland, oh, wow. just north of Washington, D.C. That was out of how old were you when you moved? Probably about three or four. So you don't remember Long Island very much? No, but, but I have... You know, an enormous amount of extended family that still lives there mm-hmm. and, you know, spent most of my life there, holidays, summers, and, and a lot of my time up there, mm-hmm. um, particularly on the eastern end of Long Island. Cool. So what was it? Did you grow up in D.C. until you went to college? I did. Um, I stayed in Maryland uh, through high school and um, ended up finding a school in New England. I had always spent summers uh, sailing from Long Island to Newport, Block Island, Cuddy Hunk, Martha's Vineyard, and had really sort of come to um, enjoy New England and, and what it had to offer and the coastline and the architecture and all of those things. So when I was looking for schools, I ended up gravitating this way. I originally wanted to go back to school in Long Island, mm-hmm. but um, didn't really find an architecture school there. So ended up finding a school in Rhode Island, Roger Williams. Cool. And, uh, you know, went to the campus and looked at it and well, this place is on the water, and, you know, it had what I wanted in terms of sports and uh, architecture. So. so how did you know that you wanted to go into architecture? So it's funny. My uncle's an architect. So those summers I spent sailing in Long Island um, was with him. Mm-hmm. And I remember very vividly, you know, one Christmas when I was up there and following him to the basement. I think I was probably, you know, eight or nine years old at the time. and. Oh. and seeing his drafting board and seeing a piece of trace over it and seeing a floor plan and watching him draw and saying that's what I want to do that looked fun to me so I immediately you know got a drafting board and a t-square and I used to take you know the plan books from from the food store and just kind of take those and look at floor plans of houses and figure out ways to make the master bath better make the you know make the downstairs better and I would draw them redraw them on square and drafting board. You know, it's interesting because um, you are our sixth guest and our fourth architect, and that seems to be a very um, common, even though everybody's path is different, it seems to me that from the people I've talked to that the people that choose to go into architecture, it's like embedded in them. Like yeah. they knew from a very young age, it wasn't like, you know, they got to 25 or like, I think I'd like to be an architect. It's certainly not a curriculum that, you know, somebody goes to college saying, well, maybe I'll try this. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are people, I'm sure, but you know, I started in in my freshman class with, I don't know, somewhere around 120 something kids and they say to you, you know, look to your left, look to your right. One of these people won't be here when you graduate. And, you know, true to form, 47 of us graduated, mm-hmm. you know, after five years um, with the professional degree. So. And what was your experience like at Roger Williams? It was great. Roger Williams was a small school. I played volleyball all four years, so I kind of went there for that reason too. And you know, met great people, um, friends, lifelong friends, and you know, met my wife there. Um, so, you know, I thought the curriculum was very well balanced between traditional architecture and modern architecture. And 
you know, prepared me well for both professional experience and also, you know, take the licensing exam and all those things. So then how did you end up moving to the Boston area? Just, you know, when I graduated, um, jobs were pretty plentiful at that time. And I had a lot of friends up here and I used to go home in the summertime and I'd work in offices, which is something I regret. I wish I, (laughs) you know, I tell interns these days, you know, after their first, second year, they're looking to work in offices. I say, go, go frame houses or go bar, you know, go bartend or go do something to develop people's skills. But I really wanted to get into the professional world as quickly as I could. And so I interned in offices, but I ended up staying in Boston because of the friends I had. I was playing on a, on a team at the time after college that um, had brought me up here. And again, like just, team? yeah, and just love New England. So she still play I wanted to stay. Oh no, those days are over. <laughs> <laughs> no, a lot of miles on, on this frame. No, I played for about 25 years. That's a long time. Yeah. Was it indoor yeah. volleyball? Or yeah, beach? indoor yeah. volleyball. Yeah. yeah. I'm from West Coast, so there's a lot uh, of beach volleyball there. Different game. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm not such a good beach player. No, I can't no. even run in the sand, let alone play volleyball. Exactly. In the sand. Exactly. It's a totally different game. Totally yeah, different I game. I can imagine. So. Um, all right, so. How did you end up going to work at Patrick O'Hearn for Patrick O'Hearn? So um, I started off my career with a firm that did primarily public schools. And I had wanted to do residential, again, having those roots from you know my, my childhood growing up and, and really liking houses, always wanted to do houses. And I got out of school and did public school work. And then the firm I was at, I got to have the opportunity to work with one of the one of the principals who did a lot more private school work and car dealerships and some kind of fun projects. So um, after a couple of years there, I kind of went to work for um, a builder, being the in-house designer, um, which was my first sort of step back into residential. And and I was working by myself and you know kind of doing spec houses and, and doing some renovations here and there. But you know I was. 25 years old, uh, you know, had an architecture degree, wanted to get licensed, and I needed to really work under, you know, a licensed architect. So, um, you know, someone suggested that I go meet Patrick, and I remember very vividly, you know, 14 years ago now almost, I, I went in, sat down with him. He's from Long Island. I'm from Long Island. We kind of, you know, hit it off right away, and he kind of just sat next to me in the interview, which I thought was kind of odd. And, looked at some of the drawings that I had done and said, um, why don't you come work here? And I just said, okay. you know. And the best advice someone ever gave me was be a sponge and just soak up as much as you can when you get there. So I got to the office and, and did just that. I worked under, you know, they had three sort of project managers at the time and I worked under them and very quickly kind of moved through the ranks um, to become my own project manager. And I had the benefit of Patrick kind of seeing some op- uh, opportunity in me and taking me and, and putting me on his hip for about four or five years. Mm, and I awesome. followed him everywhere. All right, so can you tell me a little bit about what your process is like? Sure. Um, you know, we're really known for doing more historically motivated architecture. Um, you know, our new houses look old. Our old houses and renovations, you know, have a, have a way of living the way people want to live today. So I say that because, you know, restoration works really, not easy, but when you're working with, with sort of a, a, a blueprint already, um, you know, using the existing framework for mass scale, those things, that, that's sort of 
uh, spells out what the design solution might be. But, but doing a new house that looks old is very challenging. And, and we use a technique you know, that Patrick has been sort of developing called scripting, where we develop a little bit of a story, a storyline for the house. And that you know, keeps the program development and, and the decisions that you make along the way somewhat true to the original design party. And you know, there's a sense of, of implied history there. Okay, so this so. is fascinating. So does that mean you guys make a whole story of the, for the house? Yeah. Is that essentially yeah. what it is? Can you give me like just a tiny example of what that well, might be? you know, like Like, years, have, could you imagine the people living in it? Or well, it years like ago, like, from? you know, even some of our new houses, for instance. Okay, so, you know, Patrick's house on Martha's Vineyard is a good example where, you know, that was the first house I ever went through when I worked for him. And you know, he took me in and he said, okay, you know, this was a 1680s, you know, midshipman's house, you know, not a captain's house, but midshipman's house in town, in the village, um, you know, on, on Davis Lane. Uh, and you come in the front door and there was the original front part of the house. And then as the family grew over time, they attached a, a barn to the back of the structure. And that barn, you know, became finished space. And then uh, as the family grew even more, there was a livery stable on the back of the property that, that butted Cook Street, which goes right down to, um, you know, right down to the harbor. And and the, the carriage house on Cook Street, or the livery stable, was turned into a carriage house as the family got bigger. You know, so, so there was this, which as you're walking through, you know, the rooms are all the, the right proportion. The, the ceiling heights are not 10 feet or 9 feet. They're, you know, they're 8 foot, 8 foot 6. And, you know, the fireplaces are Rumford-style fireplaces. So there's this real intimacy as you go into the house. You know, old wood pine floors and, and everything. You know, and halfway through he says, I said, so when did you finish the restoration here? And, you know, he turns to me and goes, well, this is all brand new. I mean, that blew me away. Wow. You know, so, uh, and we talked about that a lot in the book and the book tour and all these things that we've been doing. But, you know, to be able to create that sensitivity to scale and character, um, I thought was very impressive. Yeah, and that is very impressive. So, so that scripting is, is what we use on a lot of our projects, both, you know, new and renovation. Um, to create that sense of implied history. So it's interesting because we got to my next question kind of organically, but it was going to be, I drive through uh, an area of Massachusetts where there's a lot of your houses going up that are new construction. <laughs> and um, I sometimes there's not a sign out in front of them, but I always know it's one of your guys' houses. And then when the sign goes up, I feel like I'm very, very satisfied that I guessed it right. <laughs> Yeah. But um, no, I mean, to speak of that, you guys have a very distinctive style. It's almost become kind of its own, almost like its own marketing in a way. Yeah. Well, in a world where right now, you know, the clients, as they get younger and younger, people are looking for more contemporary style work. And I have a ton of respect for the people that do that work. And, and I think it's very impressive. Um, you know, it's just not what we do. And we've kind of stuck true to form. I mean... You know, people come to us for what we do. So we've done some more contemporary houses with a little bit of a New England spin to them. Mm -hmm. um, but for the most part, you know, we're known for doing um, traditional classical design in the New England vernacular. So that must, the scripting must help. Because I think sometimes when you have like a humongous piece of property, that's almost more challenging for a new construction in particular than if you had tight constraints where, you know, it's make it dictating its own project to, in a way is well, it is that does the scripting help you know figure out what the house is going to be or sure uh, well you know one thing I, I'll add to that is it, whether that you know the property is 40 acres or it's you know 
10,000, 5,000 square feet in Eggertown Village, you know, zoning really impacts design mm -hmm. in a big way. And, and I think you, know, you really have to be very um, um, you know, aware of zoning. You have to, be, you have to understand it. You have to, learn, you have to know how to interpret it. So, for instance, in a lot of the municipalities we work in, you know, particularly the Wellesleys, the West End, the, there, there's a lot of zoning that goes into site development. So understanding how to use that, understanding how that dovetails with your you know, design schematic, whether it's the storyline or the design party, or what the needs and program um, uh, requirements are from a client. So I think, you know, we say that a lot, that zoning impacts design as much as imagery and programmatic needs and all these other things. So no matter how big the parcel is. Do you guys ever do the same house twice? Like if somebody came, a client came to you and said, I saw this on your website, can you make this same house? Well, I mean, it's not like we pull it out of a drawer and no, say, here you go. But I think, you know, again, people come to you for what you do mm -hmm. and they say, I love this house. Well, okay, well, how do we customize it for you? Mm -hmm. How do we take that architecture and, and maybe reinterpret it in, in a different locale? If there's a house in Martha's Vineyard uh, that might be all gray shingle, uh, weathered with a, you know, a red cedar roof, well, that doesn't necessarily play in Wellesley. Mm -hmm. So how do you redevelop and reimagine that, that volume and that shape and that architecture into you know, a different locale? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, so do you want to talk about the book a little bit? How did that come about? Sure. Um, you guys are doing a big tour, right? Well, we, we just finished, just finished? like okay. a 14-month tour. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, it was a lot. And you know, Patrick's been wanting to do that for quite some time. And, the book is really sort of the first monograph, if you will, of his life. It's, it's a lot about his life and his um, sort of influences and where he grew up, you know, growing up on Long Island in Levittown. Um, it's not exactly your architectural mecca. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, put himself through college and got out of college. And, and it's sort of the story of him and, and the firm. And then it really goes into the philosophy behind what we do. Um, and he's had the fortune of, of doing you know a lot of houses on Martha's Vineyard. We do a lot of houses in the suburbs here, but the um, you know really neat part about the book and the book tour was we're, we're doing houses all over the world mm. at this point. I mean we're doing projects in Glen Eagle, Scotland. We have houses in, in um, you know, I did a house in the Bahamas a few years ago. That's exciting. Um, yeah, we're doing houses in North Point, Michigan. We're looking at projects in upstate New York, mm -hmm. you know, Eastern Shore, Maryland. So. Uh, Los Angeles. Uh, so we, we have really um, taken that brand that Patrick's developed over the years and, and tried to really promote that brand. And mm -hmm. that brand, I think, has legs in a lot of different locales. Mm -hmm. Will we do a house in Santa Fe, New Mexico? Maybe not. Right. But, you know, the New England vernacular um, plays in a lot of different areas, but it's, it's more so about scale mm -hmm. and intimacy and, you know, residential homes when you do somebody's personal house and this is kind of one of the reasons that I got into residential work is connecting with a client working with them on their personal home there, there's a real sense of, of you know intimacy and getting to know somebody and um, you know seeing the enjoyment on their face when it's done I mean that's kind of what what it's all about I think one of your guys is uh, aside from just the body of work but one of the things I've noticed that is a true credit to your your philosophy and probably Patrick's um, is your your houses don't look massive. Like even if they are quite large in square footage, yeah, they're very conscientiously subtle. Yeah, 
Yeah. It's well, a, it's not easy. It, it's and it's about scale mm-hmm. and how do you do a you know we've done houses in the eighteen twenty thousand square mm-hmm. foot range that don't look huge, um, you know we've done houses even in the suburbs here that are that large what, on small properties. What's so. interesting too is I wonder if that desire to have the scale minimized is also part of a little bit of New England history a little bit where New Englanders tend not to be super grandiose mm-hmm. um, right there's a Yankee mentality yeah that's sure. a good way to describe sure. it you know these days you're finding a lot of the clients are coming to you saying well I want a little bit more modern interior mm-hmm. so I see that as being a little bit of a paradigm shift mm-hmm. where you know people don't necessarily want you know the Hansel and Gretel knitting corner and the, <laughs> you know some of the things that you might have seen in the Yankee sort of shaker style mm-hmm. homes um, but they still want that intimacy with scale. So do you think there's you still a trend towards a lot of open space on the interior? Are you seeing it kind of come back around to people realizing that maybe that's too open and they need some more intimacy? Um, no, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, particularly when you go into a renovation, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times people are looking to, if you look at houses from the 50s and 60s, they didn't have indoor-outdoor living. They didn't do a lot of the things that we do today. There weren't open spaces. So... How do you take some of these older houses from the 50s and, and you know or even the 40s and 30s and make them live the way people want to live today? Mm-hmm. Um, and then how do you create that a new construction that looks old? Mm-hmm. That's really what I see as being the trend. People still want houses that are understated, that are, are classical, that, that fit into their surroundings. You know, it's, it's almost like the ghost in the night, like we were never there. Mm-hmm. We don't necessarily have this you know massive ego driven style architecture that has to be contemporary in a traditional setting or you know and I have no issue with contemporary work it's just in a traditional setting in a, in a suburban neighborhood maybe it doesn't fit mm-hmm. um, so I see our clients wanting a little bit more of that understated you know fitting in but you know a really well done interior that lives you know the way they want to live today mm-hmm. indoor outdoor open spaces family style living so um, I have a question for you. So were you involved at all in the HGTV Dreamhouse project? Because I feel like that got a lot of publicity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that house is actually really cool. Yeah. I mean, as a firm, we were all involved. Yeah. But, how did know. that even come about? Like, how did you... Well, so, you know, that's really all Patrick. Mm-hmm. But, you know, on Martha's Vineyard, he's the guy. And mm-hmm. HGTV was looking for sites and was looking for a site on Martha's Vineyard and had a very short window to build the house. And, um, you know, through there- Short window on Martha's Vineyard. Like (laughs) four months, six months. Yeah. Wow. So um, they got sort of hooked up with Patrick. Patrick said, not only can I do the house, I can get the land for you. So that was really a big draw. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things that HGTV sort of lacks is you know, they never really talk about the role of the architect in these mm-hmm. things. It's always these designers that come in mm-hmm. or, you know, there's this mentality that this can all be done in two weeks and, and boom, everything just happens. Yeah. So, you know. Which is not real life for anyone listening that's not in the business. As you know. <laughs> no, it's not real life. But um, in any event, we, we put together a, a house there, again, with a storyline that this could have been, you know, um, the fishing shack that mm-hmm. you know kind of everybody kind of hung out in and, and over time they, they connected the shacks to the one major yeah, sort of really cool. you know, living space 
but yeah, it, again, that house lives very well. Mm-hmm. Um, people have called us all over the world looking to build that house sure. in different places, and, and we've done some versions of it with with you know tweaks and changes and wings added. And mm-hmm. but you know, again, it was all about scale on that project, and um, that really came about through Patrick putting that land deal together for HGTV and, and turning the home over. And it's kind of a shame then you didn't get more. Like they didn't talk more about the process involved in designing yeah. the house, yeah. like not just like putting the nice pillows and then the curtains, because yeah. that house is a really, you know, it's a really really beautiful house, and it got a lot of publicity. It's a shame that people don't understand like how a house like that comes to be. We pushed for that a lot, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I think there was some contractual things written mm-hmm. in that it was supposed to be done. And think it did get done fully but you know it's it's also like I grew up watching this old house which I love till this day yeah and you know um, and I've had the good fortune of meeting all those guys and, mm-hmm. and talking shop with them but you know that's also another TV show that doesn't really fully represent the role of the architect in construction mm-hmm. and the role of the architect in the development of a project like that so it's unfortunate because I think you know in an era where there's less and less people coming to the profession, um, particularly residential. You know, schools around the country are really going more towards modernism. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, maybe two or three schools in the whole country that still tre- teach traditional classical architecture. Um, you know, it's a dying, it's a dying art, and um, you know, I wish that there were some platforms like HGTV and like, you know, this old house that we could use um, to promote the uh, profession. Do you find that the, the people coming out of school as well are lacking some knowledge in crafts, craftsmanship, like how you know things are actually built, not from an architectural structural standpoint, but you know, like when you design a built-in drawing, like how a carpenter might actually put that together? Well, yeah, you know, a little bit. And I mean, I kind of feel like I'm the last generation of people that understood how to draw by hand too. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the reasons I got into the profession was I wanted to draw by hand. I mm-hmm. wanted to draw, you know, with a parallel rule and, and, you know, freehand sketch and all that. And these days, you know, everybody's quick to go to the computer. Mm-hmm. And in our office, you know, we we still we still work a lot with a pen, mm-hmm. particularly in the schematic design process. Um, so I see the younger generation coming out. They don't really have a lot of background in, in understanding freehand drawing and three-dimensional drawing and, and those techniques, I think, that are important for conveying um, you know, what, what your thought is. Because you have to do that when you're sitting with somebody, too. Right. You have to be able to uh, draw in front of them and create and understand three-dimensionally. And, um, the other thing I'd say is, you know, it's why I advocate for people to get experience in the field. You know, get your hands dirty, pick up a hammer, understand what goes into putting a house together mm-hmm. or putting a building together for that matter. And I think that that experience is valuable and, and makes you more well-rounded as a, as a professional. You're going to work in an office the rest of your life. Probably helps too, I imagine, if you have some respect for, it helps you get more respect for the people actually constructing, you know, your vision. It keeps everybody kind of on the same page, you know, the framer may not understand fundamentally why yeah. something is important so if you have some respect for how hard his job is or you know what it takes to do his job then it's easier maybe to relate yeah on a personal yeah. level 
you know, one of the things I've always thought of in this profession and, and, you know, Patrick sort of instilled in me early on was, you know, this is a profession. We're always practicing architecture. This isn't, we're just doing it. Mm-hmm. We're constantly getting better. We're constantly wanting to improve. We're constantly looking for ways to do that. And, you know, it's a lifelong profession. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most architects work until they can't, you know, mm-hmm. until they die, you know, and you know, it's it's not something that you one day sort of pack up and say I'm retired and you move on and and it's practice. It's it's a lot like medicine. It's a lot like law. It's it's you're always trying to better yourself in in your field. All right. So my last question for you is going forward in the future. What do you think are going to be some of the greatest challenges? Well, you know, seeing what the next trends are mm-hmm. um, and convincing people that they're trends. Um, But, you know, I think some of the challenges moving forward, clearly we're in a great economy, and that hopefully will continue to to, maintain itself. Um, You know, I'm I'm at a point in my career where I haven't been through a ton of recessions, so that somewhat scares me. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and and work-wise, you know, I don't know. I mean, that's a tough question because... What we do, I think, again, is so specialized that I don't feel like we have to reinvent ourselves constantly. I think that we have to sort of adjust to what the clientele wants to see. But again, we're doing what we're doing and people still want it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't see a real need to have to change that. Well, history is on your side in that regard because what you're doing has been around for literally hundreds of years. Right. And, and even some of... Even some, though it's adapted. You know, you've adapted it into something new, but... Right. Right. And I think, you know, as codes change, as zoning changes, as, as, you know, building codes, energy codes, all these other things change, you know, yeah, we're going to continue to have to evolve as a profession. We're going to continue to have to evolve um, technology-wise. And I think houses will continue to get smarter, uh, more efficient. But, you Do you know, think they're going to get smaller? Do you think there's going to be like a little bit of a, a well, shrink where people aren't going to want... <laughs> what? <laughs> yes and no. I mean, we do... You know, we do houses that are 800 square feet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not all about doing massive, massive houses. I, I can't say I've seen it totally retract that people want tiny houses mm-hmm. um, in, in our, you know, sort of echelon of work. But um, I think inevitably, right now, one of the things that I'm very cautiously watching is cost in mm-hmm. our industry. Yeah. And it has skyrocketed mm-hmm. uh, in very short time. And that makes me nervous because I think... A lot of the trades, the labor's increased quite a bit. Materials have gone up slightly, mm-hmm. but, but labor has shot up immensely. And everybody's busy. Everybody's got a lot going on. And if you don't right now, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so that somewhat scares me because the trickle-down effect will happen where people will want to stop building mm-hmm. because it's so expensive. So we've got to find ways to continue to be competitive in this environment, continue to find ways to do things better, um, less expensive um, and not so labor intensive. Um, I mean the the trades. Even though I was terrible at economics in college, but trades right now to me is a perfect example of supply and demand. There's a huge demand for trades, and there's almost no supply. So the people that are doing plumbing and carpentry can charge whatever they want, basically, right. especially if they're good. Well, again, that industry's suffering for, for oh, new yeah. talent too, and mm-hmm. you know. Um, the trade schools I know just from you know sort of 
listening to, to and reading a lot of the articles and, and listening to a lot of the commentary about it, they're, they're struggling to find people that want to be plumbers, mm-hmm. electricians, and, you know, and, that, and that's a dying art. So, um, you know, I think as a whole, we're always going to have houses that, uh, at least from my standpoint, houses that are going to need to be renovated. Houses, mm-hmm. we're, we're always going to have that evolution of, of, you know, the houses of, of our, our era. And New England's just, you know, stacked with right. great old historic architecture. So I think there's always going to be a need for that. Um, you know, I'm curious to see 20 years from now, you know, are the houses that we're building right now, these spec houses that have gone up in the last 10 years, are those the ones we're tearing down? Mm-hmm. Or, yes. You know, and I think they will be. because they've been poorly constructed yes. or whatever reason where... Or renovated. I mean, we're already renovating houses that were built in the early 2000s right. that were like throw-ups, you know, right. where they're just a square box and right. somebody threw it up and right. the trim is, you know, cheap and right. the floors I, are cheap. And you know, I'd, I'd like to see us continue to try and develop talent from a labor and, and um, you know, subcontractor standpoint. You know, craftsmen that understand millwork, detail, mm-hmm. you know, one of the other um, sort of passions I have is I, I work with the Institute of Classical Architecture and Art, so I'm, I serve on that board. And you know, there's a lot of opportunities there for people to get exposure to classicism and understand the classical orders, and because these are things that aren't really necessarily being taught at an educational level anymore. Mm-hmm. It's almost like going back to the roots of what got us to where we are today. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this there's the same in the trades where are the trades people really understanding the craftsmanship that went into, you know, millwork in the in the shingle style or, or whatever it was, whatever era it was. You know, particularly here in New England, where there's so many just great examples for us to look at. Um, you know, I can't imagine what that's like around the rest of the country where they don't have such rich history that we have. Um, you know, this past weekend I drove through uh, Queechy and Woodstock and these places in Vermont that I had never been and you know, you just drive in these little New England villages that are such perfect, you know, perfectly detailed little houses and, and inns and, and churches and, and structures that are, it's just fascinating the, the amount of inspiration that we can draw on in New England. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's, that's something unique to us and uh, something that I hope we continue to draw from. Well, thank you so much for coming this morning to talk to me. Thanks for having me, Jess. This was fun. Thanks for listening today on Design Wise. Please make sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast on whatever you're streaming it on. That way, you'll make sure to get up-to-date information whenever we release a new podcast. Until next time.